Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Today, as this message goes out, there's so much happening in our world today. If we look back earlier this year, March 16, 2020, uh, we are alerted by the president and the CDC that because of concerns around the COVID-19 coronavirus, our nation was going to face limitations of how we are going to be uh, living. So this 30 days to slow the spread extended beyond 30 days, of course, and what that looked like from state to state, county to county, city to city, uh, you know, it was all varied. It was so many differences between each location. But even more than that, it's amazing how it varied from store to store, from church to church, from house to house, and even person to person as people from the same household felt differently and, and viewed it through a different lens than another. So even just forgetting about Texas and Michigan of how those states were different and how they approached it, Mesa County and Montrose County, even though they're only an hour, hour and a half apart, uh, differences in how they approached it. Uh, we can even look to a husband and wife feeling different about it. A child and a parent had different feelings about what was happening. And so what has come to the surface for us in all of this is that we've become very aware that we have different feelings, that we have different thoughts and different responses to the things that happen in the world around us. Then, if that wasn't enough, in the midst of all of this confusion and tension created by COVID, it comes to light that Ahmad Aubrey, a young black man, was pursued and killed by two white men in, while he was jogging in Georgia. Uh, this was followed by the killing of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, and uh, then an attempted arrest of George Floyd, a black male in Minneapolis, and that arrest attempt resulted in his death. What ensued after that was a flood of protests, uh, along with protests, uh, there's been rioting, there's also been looting that's taking place, and then there's also been ensuing deaths, others who have died as a result of the rioting and, and the looting that's taken place, both white and black. So once again, all of this brings to the surface the tensions that exist in our nation, in our state, in our community, and we can even bring it down into specific households where there's differences of opinion and feelings about what's happening and different responses. So both of these issues highlight that we often see things through uh, different lenses. We see them through uh, different experiences. We may shop at the same stores, we may even go to the same churches, but even if we share the same experiences under the same roof, we find that there's differences in how we experience something. In a way, it's kind of like watching a movie. You could sit with a friend and go through an hour and a half, two hour long movie, and you could finish it up thinking, wow, that was an amazing movie. I can't wait to recommend it to a friend or to a family member. What a great experience. But before you can even get that thought out of your mouth, the person who sat and watched that show with you would say, what a waste of an hour and a half. What a terrible show. Why did I even spend my time doing it? Isn't it interesting that you can have a shared experience, but a 
different thought or a different outcome from that. Well, I wish I could say that 2020 so far has just been a movie and we could just look past it, but it is unfolding in front of us. We're being made aware very vividly of how shared space can highlight how different each of us are in terms of our views and maybe making it difficult to come to agreement. In fact, it can be so alarming that there's these differences that we have this internal response to things that happen in life, and we call it fight or flight. Uh, you're probably aware of this. It's the idea that when I feel at risk, when I feel really in danger, actually, what I am tempted to do is either fight and become very aggressive, or flight is the other option, which is to run away and, and escape from it. So whether that's fighting physically or verbally with my words, or whether that's flighting, getting away, and wanting to pull back from it, either physically, literally physically get away out of the situation, or just emotionally detach and, and just mentally detach from a situation. These tend to be our responses when we feel risk and we feel danger in our life. Now, as we come to the scriptures today and we're looking at what does all this mean for us? How do we process all of this in light of faith in Jesus Christ? I think it's a great opportunity to look and see what does the Bible have to say about circumstances like this? What does the Bible have to say about my life, about your life? How do we deal with this tension that exists in the world, in our nation? How do we deal with the tension that even exists in our own households at times? This is applicable not only to the circumstances you might find yourself in in the world, but I believe that the things that I'm going to highlight out of the scriptures today can help you in family relationships, help you in marriages, can help you in workplace relationships as well. But it's being lived out vividly on the pages of our culture and our society around us. And so I want to take this opportunity to, to talk about it. Now, at the heart of the message is a recognition that if we don't slow down to look into God's word and allow it to read us, to transform us, we can experience a subtle but damaging shift from radiating life-producing presence of God out of us towards just simply being a reflection of the broken world that's all around us. Let me say that again because it's very important that we understand that it's critical that we look to God's word in times like these, that it's not just something that sits on the shelf and we wait until uh, somebody tells us about it, but that we eagerly pursue God's word and his spirit and his understanding in these times. Because as we're looking at the world around us and what's happening, we can either radiate God's life-producing presence out of our lives, or we can simply become a reflection of the broken world around us. So my message is reflecting or radiating. And what I'm asking each of us to consider is what's happening inside of us, what's happening all around us. Are we reflecting or are we radiating? Are we reflecting the world or are we radiating God's presence? So join with me in prayer as we begin and uh, let's invite the word of God to read us and to shape us as we come to it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we don't just go to it to mine out answers and opinions and understanding of life, 
but Lord, that your word is active and it's getting into us. And it is a force for shaping us, shaping our thinking, shaping our attitudes and opinions, for shaping our appetites and transforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, your word is powerful. We approach it in that way, that it is not just something that we occasionally refer to, but it is something that we treasure in our heart and actively pursue to apply to our lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start with a word and its definition that I think is critical for us to grasp in times like these. And then we'll look at a wonderful example in scripture of what this word on display looks like. It's in John chapter one, the book of John chapter one. So the word is differentiation, differentiation. And the definition is remaining connected to people and yet not having your reaction or behaviors determined by them. In other words, how able am I to be myself, fully alive, abiding in Christ, and uniquely me, while still remaining connected to other people who are similar or dissimilar to me? Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 19. Um, we're going to read verses 19 through 28. And this portion of scripture that we're reading is a great image or a great uh, snapshot of us to see of what differentiation looks like in John the Baptist. So John chapter 1, verse 19 through 28 says, And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, when you look at this passage, you see John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, being questioned by authorities. Who are you? That's their question. Who are you? When he clearly states that he's not the Christ, the one they're, they're, they're waiting for, they poke and prod a little bit more. They say, are you Elijah, a prophet? Who are you? Give us something to tell others who you are. In other words, give us a title, give us authority, uh, why you think you should be doing this baptizing. Now, for many people, the attention that John was receiving would make it really hard to understand who they're not. 
popularity and platforms tend to skew our perspectives and we tend to take on a persona that is larger in life. We, we tend to, our, our human nature tends to want to fit into what people expect. But this isn't true with John. This isn't John's response. He quickly says, the Christ, Elijah, the prophet, I'm not those. He quickly understands who he is not. And that's really the first part of differentiation. John knows who he is not. He knows that whatever title or role they want to define him, they want him to latch onto, he's unwilling to take it on himself because he knows who he is not. In contrast to what John does, if we have a weak sense of who we are, we become dependent on others to tell us who we are. Here on this slide, you can see some things that identify what a weak sense of self looks like. If I have a weak sense of self, I reflect what others tell me. I constantly seek approval. Self-esteem can, can easily be moved by others. So that sense of who I, who I am. I'm highly dependent on other relationships and then I push people away. So I'm the type of person who just reflects back whatever group that I'm in. I'm a person who is continually wanting others to affirm or to say things about me and so I'll change to whatever will get their approval. My self-esteem can shift, it can quickly be adjusted just depending on what people are saying about me. I can have the highest of highs or the lowest of lows in such a short span of time based on what other people are saying about me. And then in my relationships, I need people to affirm me that those relationships tell me who I am. And then if I get negative feedback or make me feel, people make me feel uh, unwanted or less than I want to feel, I push people away quickly. And it's hard for me to maintain consistency in my relationships. These are all a picture of a weak sense of self. And in high tension situations like we're experiencing now with with the coronavirus and with the protests, rioting and looting that's taking place, uh, when we talk about race issues in our nation, it's easy for these tensions to create a group type of atmosphere where people are easily moved from one group to another. Whatever they're a part of, they can find it difficult to differentiate and to express themselves and what's truly in their own heart. They tend to gravitate towards whatever group they're around, they're in agreement with that group. However, it may contrast with the group they were just a part of. They might say something like, well, I don't wanna rock the boat with anyone, so I don't really differentiate. I want to blend in. I may even call it keeping peace, but what I'm really doing is protecting myself from a sense of rejection or disapproval. Or similarly, that's one approach, the same idea of a lack of differentiation can be expressed in a completely different way. Right now we see a lot of soapbox bullies. If I don't differentiate in a healthy way, what I try to do is force or shame others into agreeing with me. I'm loud, aggressive, and demanding that my views and behaviors, that you accept them and thereby you're accepting me. If you don't accept my views and my behaviors, then you're rejecting me. This is the opposite of the previous one I talked about. This isn't following in the crowd. 
This is drawing up strong sides that affirm those who are with me as right. And those who are silent or expressing different views than me are cowards, idiots, or other, any other strong label I might want to put on them that communicates my rebuke of them. It kind of sounds like this. And if it sounds like I'm familiar with it, it's because I've pastored and been around the church for a number of years. And so there's a number of people who take this approach. It sounds like this. I'm very okay with being different. I stand strong on everything I believe. I can't help it if there's a lot of weak-minded people out there. I'm a voice to present truth. If that hurts their feelings or if they don't want to hear it, they can tune me out. But people need to hear the truth. This, while not timid or compliant, it's also a weak sense of self because it's seeking alignment, compliance, and agreement People in this camp pull you into their view or they push you away, but they don't make room for you to differentiate. So in the same way, it's a weak sense of self. It requires compliance or agreement or it drives people away. These individuals aren't comfortable in their own skin of just being different than others or having strong views without requiring others to shift to their side. The Apostle Paul had an interesting approach to this particular group who viewed themselves as strong and possessing more faith than weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. Romans 14 verses one through four, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. He said, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? If it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Therefore, let us not, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. That last verse is verse 13. In this argument where some are saying, I am superior, have more faith, and so that allows me to eat anything without it overcoming me or helping me, without me feeling like I'm walking in sin. Another person says, no, this is not the right approach. You should only eat vegetables. And so this argument arose where there's the stronger brother, the weaker brother. Paul's primary approach in this is to say, if you view yourself as stronger, having a greater conviction, then it is not upon you scripturally to overwhelm the weaker brother or sister to convince them to go your way, but to humbly accept them, knowing that they are God's servant and you're to submit them before the Father so that God is the one who will help them to stand or fall. And he says they will stand because Christ will uphold them. This argument of somehow being stronger spiritually or more enlightened by God that gives us power, uh, the, the freedom to overpower a weaker brother and sister of Christ or to shame them into aligning them with us is misguided and not aligned with Scripture. So neither gaining agreement through forceful persuasion is a healthy differentiation, nor is being swayed by groups is healthy differentiation. How then can we walk in a healthy way? How can we live with this tension in a way that's more healthy? Well, if we go back to John the Baptist, he has a good response for us. He not only says, I'm not this, about all the labels they tried to put on him, 
So he knows who he's not, but he also have a, has a sense of who he is in God. He also has a sense about what he's supposed to do. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He's not a downer on himself. John's not there saying, oh, I'm nothing. I'm no good. I'm worthless. Not at all. He says, here's what my role is. And it's clear to me what God is doing with my life. What a beautiful picture of a man of God who neither accepts the labels and the direction of others around him, nor does he wander aimlessly and have a low view of himself that he's a nothing, a nobody, but instead he has a beautiful sense of God's calling and purpose over his life, even in the midst of a crowd that's trying to push him one way or the other. John is so comfortable in his own skin that sometime after this account that we're reading in this portion of scripture, he has some of his disciples come to him and say, this one, this Jesus is now attracting even more followers, more people are going after him than are coming after you. In other words, Jesus' ministry is taking off. John, yours is getting smaller. What's John's response to this? I better get some more disciples. I better increase my crowd. Maybe I'm losing my touch. Not at all. John's response to this is, yes, and he must increase and I must decrease. John had a clear sense of who he was and what God had called him to be, and the crowds weren't going to move him one way or the other. And he didn't have to convince others that he was right and that they were wrong. He simply acknowledged what God was doing in his own life. So when you think about yourself, when you think about yourself abiding in Christ, submitted to the word of God, how do you get a deeper sense of who you are in Christ? How do you and I differentiate in a healthy way? What is it that's going to cause us or allow us to have the same type of experience that John the Baptist had? It's going to be simple. <laughs> it's going to take us back to the very heart of what we're consistently needing to do as followers of Jesus. It is in the quiet place with my Heavenly Father as I discover who he says I am and how to express myself in ways that are honoring to him and loving to others. That's how differentiation happens. It's in this quiet place with my Heavenly Father it's there that I discover who I am, who he says I am. And I also discover how to express myself in ways that are honoring to him and loving to the people around me. I know what you're saying. It's the same thing I said to myself as I was writing these notes down. Oh, prayer, scripture reading, that's it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. There's no other way I know, there's no other way I see and observe that this happens to sit quietly before him and read the word, allowing him to do open heart surgery on you. To allow the word of God to be life-changing to you, to allow your thoughts to come into conformity in the stillness of prayer. If you have not experienced a recent piercing and reshaping of your opinions, 
by scripture, then I want to suggest you're not reading it right. If you have not felt like the paddles of a spiritual heart defibrillator have shocked you into a new reality of how God sees you, the people around you, and the world you live in, you need to open it up more because transformation means that you and I don't have all the right answers yet. It means that we still need to fall under the scoping eye of God's word and his spirit to be transformed by him. Again, if you're not sobbing over your own heart and attitudes, but only that of others, then you're not being shaped, you're reloading. And that is not what the word of God is for. So here's what it looks like in contrast to the earlier list that I provided. Here's what a differentiated self looks like, much like John the Baptist. But let me give you a, a couple bullet points. A strong sense of self means that I radiate what God speaks to me. I am at rest in God's acceptance of me. Self-esteem is affirmed but not controlled by others. And I have a healthy interdependence and value for all of my relationships, those who agree with me and those who disagree with me. This is a beautiful picture of an individual who has submitted to God's presence, who has allowed the word to refine and reshape the thoughts and attitudes and opinions. This is a life that it's so important at this moment when so many people are drawing up and trying to pull sides and opinions and there's grenades of emotion and, and uh, attitudes being lobbed out into the culture. This is such an important aspect of our life in Christ that we have spent time with him and out of that time with him, we know who we are. We know who he's called us to be. We know the acceptance and love by which we function in this life. And not only that, that we are so at rest in him, we don't feel a compulsion to lead people, pull or push people one way or the other to agree with us. This is an important part of the way that we approach this. Well, with this message, I can think of no better way to come together than to share in the cup and the bread and to gather around the Lord's table for communion. We as a church have so many different views. People come from different backgrounds. All of the things that I talked about, all of the things that are happening in culture, we see so many people have different ideas about that and opinions about it. But our unity comes not from a unification of all having the same opinion and viewpoint about the world around us and the subjects that are before us, whether it be politics, whether it be the approach to the coronavirus, whether it be how we are the best way forward in addressing race relations in our nation. These are all important subjects and not to be avoided, but our unification comes under the headship of Christ and recognizing that we trust the Holy Spirit in one another to lead each one of us. We trust the word of God in one another to refine us and to shape us. And so we come to the communion table knowing that it's the bread and the cup that unifies us around the table of Christ. I invite you to prepare the bread and the cup as we now come to this time of communion. We remember, we remember the gift of Jesus' body 
that he surrendered his life not to his own will, but to the will of the Father. To do what the Father asked him to do. That while everybody else had a purpose and a desire for his life, Jesus was able to say, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Not their will of the crowds around me, but your will be done, Father. And so as we hold the bread and receive it today, let us be reminded that it is our ability to be with the Father and hear his purposes for our life that helps us live fully and experience the full life that he has for us. Lord, we thank you for the bread. We are reminded that it is sufficient for us that your death on the cross frees us to live in submission and in relationship to you. That we can live alive in you and that we don't have to be a reflection of the world, but we can be, Lord, a radiant expression of your presence in our lives. We thank you for surrendering your will to the Father. And we agree with it by saying we want to do the same, to daily take up our cross and live for you. We give thanks for the bread in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the bread. Lord, this cup is of a new covenant for us. It is a covenant of your shed blood that gives us grace, that gives us mercy. But not only is it grace to us, but it is grace that we are then empowered to extend to those around us. We neither sit in the judge's seat, nor do we sit in the ones who have all of the answers. We don't sit in the jury seat. Lord, we sit in a seat of testimony, a testimony that, that tells others of the great work that you have done. And we don't profess to be people who have all the answers, Lord. We profess to be people who know the, the one who has the answers. And so, Lord, our eyes are on you. And we say, transform us. Thank you that the blood is our forgiveness, that it is shed, that we might be made whole. Thank you that it is our grace extended to us. And we thank you that it is the fullness of life that we receive when we are reminded of the life that you have poured out for us. We thank you for your shed blood, and we receive this cup, remembering it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just express blessing over your life as you go into your day today, your week, and in the coming weeks. May God give you grace to differentiate from the crowds. May he give you the power to live the life fully that he has created within you and imparted to you to be your unique self abiding in Christ. May he give you the power and the humility to not try to persuade the crowds and push or pull others into your viewpoint, but to live humbly with those around you, testifying of the gospel, testifying of God's goodness, but releasing every individual to the Lord knowing that his grace is also sufficient for them as it is for you. Lord bless you, and thank you for taking time to worship with me today. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. 
If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.